class. Um, I came up to the States to take a doctoral class, and the professor um, talked to me, and then he looked me in the eyes, and he said, you are a liability to Jesus Christ right now in your life if you don't get back on track with where you're supposed to be. And then I've told some of you um, in my 40s um, about um, my mild traumatic brain injury and how that took, put me into a tailspin. I thought I knew where I was going in the spiritual journey, and then all of a sudden everything was up for grabs as I had to wrestle with, what do I do with this brain injury? So as we begin, we begin a new calendar year here at Cornerstone. All right, am I back on? A little more? All right, we'll try this. So as we start this new calendar year at Cornerstone, I want to, to spend this month kind of giving you a biblically-based map for the spiritual journey that will show that there are places where there are curves in the road, that will show that there are expectable places where, where we get stuck or we hit potholes or we get detours. Now, knowing the map won't mean that you won't get disoriented, but knowing that there's a map and having an idea of the contours of the map will maybe help you give yourself a little more grace. Maybe it will help you receive help from others. Because there are a couple points in the journey where somehow God has designed it that you will not get through that in isolation and alone. So maybe having an idea of where those points are, you'll receive help from others. And maybe you will be able to give help to others when you realize some of the contours of the lifelong spiritual journey. So at the end of this um, series um, in, in January, I really hope you will be kind of better shepherds of your own souls and better shepherds of the souls of others. So since we have communion today, I want to jump right into our scripture text. This is to give us the, the broad framework of growing mature in the Christian life. And so our scripture text this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. One of my favorite scripture texts. You know I'm a spiritual formation guy. This is just such an incredible text for our spiritual formation because the, the aged or older Peter is writing to younger Christians. And he's wanting to give them a map for the spiritual journey. And what I love about this text is Peter gives us things that we're all supposed to do and can do right here, right now in our spiritual journey. And at the same time, he forecasts what the journey will look like as we walk forward decade after decade after decade with Christ. So first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Starts like this. His, meaning the Lord's. The Lord's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Just stop there for a moment and think about that. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. In his glory and his goodness, God will provide all that you will, you'll ever need. You won't have everything you want, right? We know that. But God absolutely promises that he will give you everything you need for life and godliness. God promises that he will give you what you need to thrive in spiritual life. God promises that he will give you what you need to have godly relationships that are rich with others. God promises that you will be fully alive because he's, he will give you what you need. All you'll need to do is receive it and live in light of it. 
which means there's nothing we ever lack in Christ. God loves us too much to ask us to do something that he doesn't provide a way for us to be able to do, which means that um, we can stop worrying, we can stop doubting, we can stop striving, we can stop feeling inadequate and insufficient and inept and incomplete because God will provide everything we need for life and godliness. One, two, three. God will provide everything we need for life and godliness in him. Am I, do I need to do something, Mike? Okay, all right. All right, verse four. Peter continues. Through these, which is through God's glory and goodness, okay? So through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. God's glory and God's goodness has given us incredibly great and precious promises. If we are followers of Jesus, then God has promised absolutely on his reputation, on his glory, many great things for us. God has promised that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We'll sin, but God refuses to look upon us as dirty and spoiled. If we confess our sins, God promises he will forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Through his glory and goodness, God promises that there will be healing for all of our brokenness. There will be resolution for all of our struggles. We have no clue what's going to happen in this year ahead of us. But we know that God will walk with us every step of the way. Through his glory and goodness, God promises he has purposes for our temporary sufferings and struggles. God also promises, by the way, this is incredible. God promises that he will never, ever give us more than we can handle. He just simply won't. He will probably stretch what we can handle, but he will never give us more than we can handle. God promises that he will always work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You never have to wonder whether God really loves you enough to care for you. He promises absolutely. God promises that he will one day completely eradicate injustice and prejudice and hatred in the world. God promises that we will one day see Jesus Christ face to face and we will walk and live with him and with each other for all eternity. God has given us great and precious promises. Wouldn't it be sad to be like the richest person in the world and not know it and live on the streets in poverty? Isn't it sad as Christians that we are, we are the children of the great king of the universe. We have all of these riches available to us. Maybe 2017 is a year for you to start to find the promises that God has for you. So pray about that. Maybe what you want to do is in your journal through this year, as you come across some of God's great and precious promises, to write them down so that you don't lose sight of them because here's the benefits of knowing God's great and precious promises, um, Peter goes on to say that the result is that through them, we will participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, we're not new age. There are religions that believe that you will be divine one day, that the whole divinization um, kind of, that is not Christianity. 
God is God. We are not. We will never be God. But the incredible thing is that we are created in the image of God and we can participate in the divine nature. So God, who is a God of love, we can grow in a a God-like love for one another. God is a God whose mercies are fresh every morning. We can start to participate in the divine nature and give fresh mercies to one another in our marriages and in our families and in our friendships. We can actually participate in the divine nature. We can become wiser like God is wise. We can become compassionate as God is compassionate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, um, as many of you know, was, was um, put to death, martyred by the Nazis. And he, he reflects on this whole thing of, of there's so much that God has for us that we miss out. And here's what he wrote at one point. He said, because I am a Christian, every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's word in holy scriptures is a lost day for me. Every day when I don't try to find the, the great and precious promises of God so I can participate in the divine nature is a lost day for me. I can only move forwards with certainty upon the firm foundation of the wisdom of God in the word of God. So going on to verse 5, Peter continues, for this very reason, he says, because we have these great and precious promises, because we get to share in the divine nature, because we get to avoid the corruption in the world caused by evil desire, for this very reason, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. Now stop there. Whatever he's going to say, take next, or is going to say next, is going to take some effort on our part, right? And it's not just going to take some effort on our part. Whatever Peter's going to say next He's saying that we will need to make every effort to add to our faith. Brothers and sisters, we will not fully thrive in the spiritual journey in 2017 if we have haphazard, lazy, occasional devotion to add to our faith. By now, you know the law of the harvest, right? The law of the harvest says that we cannot reap what we do not sow. We will not reap a a rich and full life with God and life with one another and mission with God if we are lazy and just occasionally think about adding to our faith every once in a while. Maybe on Sundays, maybe not. Maybe on small group. Maybe we'll read the scriptures. Maybe we won't. That will never lead to thriving in the spiritual journey. I hope you figured out by now that the number one factor in your maturing to become more like Christ is your practice of spiritual disciplines. Now, spiritual disciplines don't transform us. Only God has the power to transform us, right? Only the Holy Spirit can transform us from the inside out. But God promises that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us and we will be transformed. You can never expect to make progress in the spiritual journey if you not, do not devote yourself to practical spiritual exercises. Spiritual exercises daily, spiritual exercises weekly, spiritual exercises each month. There is a full toolbox of the kinds of spiritual exercises that God says, just come near me and I will transform you. And until we make every effort to develop and nurture those spiritual exercises, we will not reap thriving in the kingdom of God. In order to, in order to move up the ladder of maturity from faith to where, where um, Peter's going to take us to a God-like love, 
we have to nurture spiritual practices. All right. In 2017 then. And by the way, when he says make every effort, I don't think that means come to a sermon and get instructions and do what you're told. When he says make every effort, I think what that means is you actually wait upon the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You learn how to take direction from the Lord Jesus Christ about the spiritual practices in your life. Because you know what? It's not my fault if your spiritual life sucks in 2017. It's not your small group's leader's fault. It's not your spouse or your date's fault or your significant other. If you do not thrive in 2017, it's going to be because you just thought you could do this spiritual life thing here and there every once in a while. Okay, so what are we called to make every effort to do? Um, Peter continues. He says, first, make every effort to add to our faith. And by the way, we have a number of these virtue lists in the New Testament. They all start with saving faith at the cross, and they all end with godlike love at the, at the top, okay? So this passage has been called a ladder of divine ascent, where we start with saving faith. And, but faith is not our destination as Christians, right? Faith is, is the doorway to the rest of the Christian life. So, um, so we start with faith, but then Peter says, make every effort to add goodness to your faith. The word for goodness is, is a word for moral excellence. Have you ever noticed how, how um, when people just first become Christians, before they do any Bible studies, before they learn how to pray, they already start to become better people. They start to have a morality that is different than they had before Christ. Because as soon as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he starts to make us gooder, right? He starts to make us morally better people. But that's not just something that is haphazard again. We can develop spiritual practices for moral goodness and moral excellence in our lives. One of the very simple ones, if you guys have all heard this, very simple is ask yourself 10 or 15 times a day, what would Jesus do right here in my shoes? And that is a spiritual practice that can train you in moral excellence. Because you'll start to see the world from a divine perspective and not just down here and what other people will think. Another way to nurture your, your moral excellence is seek to live your life for an audience of one. Seek that you don't, it doesn't matter what everybody else might say. What matters more than anything else is what God sees and what God says about your life. So Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith moral goodness. Next, he says, we're supposed to make every effort to add to our moral goodness knowledge. It's interesting. Somebody comes to faith in Christ. They start becoming a morally better person. And then they start to learn the truths of the Christian faith, right? And it makes sense. Paul says, and by the way, even though there's a progression here, we will all be adding knowledge if we're growing. We will be growing in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there is a point in the journey where the primary job is to learn the foundational truths of the faith. And so if you're a relatively new Christian, you should be spending a year or a couple years in the Gospels. You ought to just become incredibly familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how they, the similar ways that they show Jesus and the additional factors that they give you. You should have a sense that Luke is just a very careful historian who establishes the facts. You should have a sense that, that John gets a little more philosophical and sees great themes of glory. 
All right? If you're a fairly new Christian, you start with the Gospels. If you've never immersed in the Gospels, even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, then you've got to go back and do that remedial work because we're supposed to add to our faith goodness and to our goodness knowledge. And can I encourage you? This scripture intake has to be a part of your spiritual journey. Because here's what happens. I watch people, and they've maybe been Christians for 25 or 30 years, but they've never really studied the word, or they're not familiar. They've never memorized much of scripture. They hardly know the difference between the epistles of, of Paul and the epistles of Peter. And they get later in their life, and God wants other things to be birthed in them, and they simply don't have the knowledge foundation to live the life that God wants them to live. And the pattern is this. When we miss developmental phases back here, God's, when we're out here, God's going to send us back and say, go get that done so that I can work through you. The best way to add knowledge to your life is to immerse in the scriptures. But you don't have to do that alone. You can do that with, with friends and with small groups. If you're not the kind of person that likes to study on your own, then, then develop... You know, find a prayer partner where you go through the book of Ephesians till you're done, verse by verse. Get into a weekly community group and and find ways to add knowledge to your faith. And so I want to encourage you, would you consider this year in 2017 re-energizing your commitment to scripture intake so that, as Bonhoeffer said, so you're not wasting days and weeks and months of your life simply because you haven't immersed in the scriptures. All right, next Peter says, to add to our knowledge, self-control. Interesting word. It's a compound word. Um, ego is self. The actual Greek word is ego. And then kratos is the second part. So it's, it's and kratos means power. So literally self-control means having power over yourself. Okay? One of my friends, a pastor called it, having a glorious grip on what's inside. Now, you can't do that if you haven't come to faith, if you haven't started to become morally better, if you haven't developed the the earlier rungs of the ladder, if you don't know the knowledge of the truth of of the gospel and truths of scriptures, you're not going to grow in self-control. But knowledge alone is not enough. Our knowledge must lead to this point where we have a glorious grip on what's inside. Now, most of us come to the word self-control, and we think of the negative side of that. We think of when I lose self-control, I sin. So I have to get, get a grip on myself so that I don't sin. And that's part of it. But there's another part of self-control. And we find this at a certain stage in the spiritual journey. And I'll actually, by the way, I'll, I'll give you stages next week. We'll put a map up and, and you'll see what they look like. But there's a certain point in the, the Christian journey where we've got to get a grip on what's inside. Not to keep us from sinning as much but so that we live the life that God has made us to live in the world. There are a bunch of people who miss out on the life that God wants them to live, miss out on the mission that they're supposed to live because they can't get a grip on what's going on. And so they're dissipating their life, doing all kinds of this and that and the other thing. And all the time, they're missing the point of their particular spiritual life. Will you make a commitment to start to get a grip on what's going on inside of you. What happens is something goes wrong usually, right? And lots of times we feel bad about it, and maybe we want to confess and make it go away, or maybe we want to ignore it so we don't have to see it. Would you watch what's coming out of your life and ask yourself, what is it telling you about your soul? 
so that you can get a grip on what's inside. And in two weeks, maybe three weeks, depending on how it goes, I'm going to give you a tool to try to get a grip on what's going on inside of you so that you can live the life that you're called to live. All right, next, the Apostle Peter says, um, add to your self-control perseverance. Perseverance, another compound word. Yeah, the first part, the prefix is hyper, okay? Um, and the second part is meno, which is the word that Jesus uses for abiding in John 15. And so here's what Jesus said in John 15, 4 and 5. He says, remain, that word, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain or abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So literally the word perseverance means hyper-abiding. And we get to a point in the spiritual journey where what we are supposed to do is hold on to God no matter what. There is a point, by the way, halfway through the journey, where our spiritual lives, for the most part, fall apart. We can't figure out what's going on. Nothing that we've done before seems to work. It's called the dark night of the soul. It is a very predictable thing. Usually don't start bumping up against it until you're 35 or into your 40s. But there's a point in the spiritual journey where all you've got is perseverance. All you can do is hold on. Now, every time we persevere in our journey leading up to that is going to train us to be able to persevere when we get to that point. So Job, everything's ripped out from him, but he doesn't let go. He keeps hanging on to God. The psalmist goes through, through desperation, but he keeps on holding on to God. Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of, of just everything falling out, beneath him. He still cries out to his God. There have been times in my life where the only thing I got right was I hung on. I hung on for dear life, but that's the only thing I got right. There are times in our lives where God just needs us to hold on so that he can do a deeper work inside of us that will transform us when we go forward. And if we let go, then we end up sitting off on the sidelines and watching life go by. So whenever you're, you're struggling, whenever you're tempted, just hold on. James says that perseverance must do its work so that we become mature and complete. And here's the sad thing. Think of the 55-year-olds you know in your life, and you know every one of them that has not refused. You know every one of them who has held on to God no matter what because their lives are radically different. What you will become like when you're 55 and 60 will at one point depend solely on this. Will you add to your self-control perseverance? All right. Next, Peter says, add to your perseverance godliness. This is just a word that says honor for God. He talked about it earlier in the passage. It simply means piety, respect, and reverence for God. Spiritual practice to develop godliness in your life is wake up each day and say, good morning, God. I promise to live my life for you throughout this day. Every once in a while through the day, just stop. Get away for five minutes. Do a check-in with God. Do a daily office is what some call it. Do a check-in with God and say, God, is there anything that you really want me to take note of? And then if you can develop the practice of a daily self-examination, or even if you only do it a couple times a week, where you just stop and say, okay, what's happened the last 24 hours of my life? 
Did I live a life that was oriented to God? Was seeking God the greatest goal that I had in my life? So we are to add to our perseverance godliness. Paul says to young Timothy, he says, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Do whatever it takes. Find the spiritual practices to train yourself to be godly. And then let me add the last two together um, in this ladder. He says, then add to our godliness mutual affection. This word is Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. And then he goes on and says, and add to our mutual affection, godlike love. So um, mutual affection, brotherly love, Philadelphia. Um, The world will actually stand up and take notice if we start loving people like family, no matter whether they're family or not, no matter whether they look like us or not, no matter whether they're the same political party or the same race or the same socioeconomic. The world will actually take notice if we just start loving like that. But you want to know what will blow the world away? Is if we will start loving with a godlike love. And here's the difference. Brotherly love just looks out for people and has warm affection. Godlike love, the Greek word's agape, godlike love will go sacrificial. Godlike love will spend itself for the best good of the people we're loving. And the proof of it is when people cross us when they screw us over, when they disappoint us, when we don't like them, will we keep on loving them with a godlike love? It is fascinating that the top rung of maturity in the scriptures is not how much we know, it's not how, how many people we've led to faith, it's not how often we do spiritual disciplines. The top rung of maturity in the scriptures is always, 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 do we live a godlike love for others? Do we love people boldly and unconditionally? And I dare you to pray for God to increase your your God-like love. Because what will happen is you will be changed. Because God will send you unlovable people. He'll send you annoying people. And you'll figure out that his presence within you can still love them boldly and unconditionally. Verse 8 tells us the benefits of making every effort to add to our faith. And this is what Peter writes. He says, for if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it sad how many Christians there are who are ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because they thought that haphazard spiritual disciplines would somehow do the trick. There are far too many people in our churches ineffective and unproductive. The promise is that if you will devote yourself to make every effort to add to your faith, you will be both effective and productive. Your life will matter. You'll get to the end of 2017, and you will be a very different person than you are today. And one of the things that I absolutely love about the Christian life is it's never static. It's never like we reach a certain point and then we coast for the rest of the way and we get bored. The Christian life has an ever-increasing quality of of these traits in our character. And it has an ever-increasing glory. So I want to encourage us again. Let's be models of effective and productive followers of Jesus. Let's do it so well that we're examples to everybody else who can see our lives. And then finally, verses 9 and 10, and we'll wrap up. If anyone does not have these qualities, Peter says, they're nearsighted and blind. 
They've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. How tragic, right? They're just, they're just living out there clueless. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, let's be all the more eager. All right? He's already said make every effort. Let's be all the more eager to make our calling and election sure. For if we do these things, we will never fall away. And we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my prayer for you. And I wish, I wish that I could look every single one of you in the eyes. I wish I could grab both of your hands and look you in the eyes. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you will live an absolutely glorious life. And that you will die a glorious death. That you will so nurture this spiritual journey that you, you, you just smell like Jesus. You look like God. You act as if you've been transformed. I want you to live a glorious, glorious life. Because if you'll do that, you will die a glorious death. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Augustine writes about the journey. Um, he says, on earth, we Christians are travelers always on the go. We have to keep on moving forward. Therefore, he says, be always unhappy enough about where you are if you want to reach where you are not. If you are too pleased with what you are, you have stopped already. When you say it is enough, you are lost. Keep on walking. Keep on moving forward. Keep on striving for the goal for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. You pray with me and then we'll transition to communion. Father, I, I listen to your spirit speaking through the Apostle Peter and I'm amazed at the depth that comes just through these few verses as he begins his second letter to the Christians that were scattered around the world. Such clarity about saving faith and what it takes for us to grow each stage of the journey. Would you help us this month to, to find a biblically-based map for the Christian journey? Would you help us find it, certainly for ourselves, but maybe even more, would you help us find it that we might be great shepherds of other people's souls? And now as we transition Lord Jesus, to, to celebrate um, communion with you. All the things that we've heard in this scripture text, would you just pick out during our time of meditation, would you just pick out the one or two points that you want each person here to reflect upon and to receive from you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.